hit hit the jams. All right, and we're gonna have like some music playing over this or something. We're gonna get some Wilco. Or uh, uh, I will leave the, the direction up to you. We're gonna find a good lawyer to get Wilco to fucking agree to this shit. <laughs> yeah, what we'll Wilco on? They better be. We're gonna get such. We're gonna have the biggest those legal limp team. dicked Democrats. <laughs> they well, 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 they could have been a revolutionary force back in the day. Wilco, that's what this week's dystopia of the week is about. <clears throat> Stay tuned, folks. <laughs> that one guy. <laughs> <laughs> the year was two thousand two. As the invasion of Iraq looms, Wilco releases its seminal, groundbreaking album, Yankee Hotel Foxtrot. At a giant concert in the nation's capital, lead singer Jeff Tweedy talks to the audience between songs. You know, a lot of us are here because we like alternative country. But what does that really mean? A lot of people don't know this, but ten years ago, when me and Uncle Tuplo were writing the alt-country founding pact in our blood, it was about more than creating an advanced, complex sound that most people will not like but that critics will love. Alternative country has always been about making an alternative country. One that has a place for the skinny kids who don't talk much, but are actually really thoughtful and have really rich taste in music once you get to know them. We have the numbers, comrades. Let's alternate this country for real. After this rousing call, the legion of disaffected youths charged the White House with their acoustic guitars in tow. Facing down a well-armed Secret Service, this cadre did not panic. Instead, they started to jam in unison. The deep state national security apparatus, at first feeling threatened, laid down their weapons and, hypnotized by the pleasantness, started to sing along. This new movement's grip on American power was solidified as the one and only Ryan Adams took the National Mall wearing nothing but a red, white, and blue leather jacket and won the country over with an impassioned guitar solo. A year later, the troops were out of Iraq. The world had stopped fighting. The UN General Assembly was now part folk rock concert, part international hacky sack tournament. We appeared to have reached the end of history, but no one could predict the dark turn we awaited. In the mid-aughts, a new faction took power. Despite its inclusive spirit, the alt-country paradigm left many American youth stuck in alienation. They weren't content with earth tones and allusions to music their parents used to listen to. Emo pop filled the void. One night in late 2005, the White House was captured yet again by an army of bored-looking 15-year-olds with skull-adorned clothing and blonde streaks through black hair. Though the world watched intently, Waiting for this group to announce its plans to the globe, no statements were made. News crews waited outside the Lincoln bedroom for the next decade, but no one came out. A few shouts of, leave us alone, could be heard now and again, but nothing more. Despite that brief blast of global pleasantness, the 21st century, it appeared, would proceed with a march into isolation, a march to its ruin. That is your dystopia of the week this time, ladies and gentlemen. Anders Lee on the mic. That's me, folks. Here with my co-host Alex Patak. We're going to be talking Alex today. Alex Patak here. That's him. We're going to be talking about. People love it. 
Exactly. The aughts. That's the decade we were just fantasizing about. We're going to be discussing can, it. Can I just say, before we move on, I love when you do these because you write like a full movie for everyone. <laughs> yeah. This, we had to cut out the first 90 pages of that, but, uh, you know... I was up all night editing this, and <laughs> I mean, you should you should see the spinoff novels we got coming because emo's got such a whole f- vibe to I it. I have fanfic for my own fanfic, basically, is what happened. Uh, but yeah, we are excited today. We're going to be joined by Jamie Manellis in just a moment. Uh, stay tuned. You're listening to Left Jest. tuning into KPIS, you are listening to Left Jest. Anders Lee here with my co-host, as always, Alex Patak, and we are joined today by our f- good friend, Jamie Manellis. Hello. Thank you for joining us on the air. Live, we got uh, two listeners right now. Um, Lucky two. Left Jest, folks, it is, we are one week out from uh, a, a earth-changing event in the world. Um, is that redundant earth-changing event in the world? Earth-changing event in the world. No, it's good. You could have an earth-changing event in a different world that would change the earth, right? Like if there were shot a laser beam at the earth from a different planet, that would be an earth-changing event as well. When When I think of earth, I think of the physical dirt and soil and it getting tilled and the tasty food for worms. And I think you're in the clear and now we're all listening very closely to what you're about to say, Anders. Well, I think what I'm going to say is what you seem to be uh, conflating earth with just dirt in general. So earth could be a piece of a different planet is what you're saying. I'm glad you brought that up because I had a lot more to say about this. But um, uh, when you're reaching out and colonizing, as uh, is the want of Imperials to do... uh, I'm sorry, I saw something funny outside the studio. Um, Any planet can be in Earth in a way or have Earth. It can have Saturn. If it is a gas giant, it cannot have Earth. But any uh, rocky planet Mars can have have earth uh etc um and that's going to be very important in politics as we know it not just to us but to our children and our children's children anders do you have any more on on the folks this has been our cold open we're <laughs> <laughs> of uh, earth shattering earth open. Th- oh i'm dying to know what you've been you've been leading up to though <laughs> uh well this like earth it. if you spin it see i i think there's a tendency to spin the earth when we're looking at history and time, spin it back a little too far sometimes, and you miss uh, what's right in the in the rearview mirror, which is the preceding decade. You know, I think when I was growing up in the 2000s, very interesting to look at the 90s because nobody was really talking about it, but it was a very important historical period because it was uh, directly um, influenced the one that I was growing up in. Right, and that's what in we're the seeing now mirror. in the rearview mirror. 
And I think now uh, there are a lot of parallels between what seems to be happening in the country and the world and uh, the way things were happening 10 years ago. Um, And there are some differences. But um, I want to start with the technically not the beginning of the 2000s. The year 2000 was, uh, if we're being calendar nerds about it, technically in the 90s because there's no year zero, right? What? <laughs> Dude, this is true. A lot. This this would be something that would really frustrate me, because uh, my sister would always point out, like, it's not. It's still the '90s when we're in the year 2000. This is still the '90s because. What kind of calendar nerd is your sister? If it starts with a two, it's definitely no. It's not calendar. because there's no year zero. So it starts like a decade is ends. That's all an abstraction. It's really not worth getting carried on about at all because the the, the decades only begin whenever you decide they do. Like there's nothing tangible that ends when 2000 like 20 ends and 2021 begins. It's just it's as it's the it's closest thing. It's the closest thing we have, though. It's time the closest is all we thing. Have, exactly. Sir. Right, but the way you measure time, you have to have some close approximation to what we agree time is, right? All right. Well, my world is turned upside down, but um, the rest of the world was turned upside down on a little date called 9 11, and we're going to be covering it in the podcast. Stay tuned. We will be getting to 9 11. Uh, but first, the 2000 election, which is. Um, we're now almost five minutes in, and this is what we wanted to start with. Um, <laughs> but 2000, we got Al Gore, milk toast, uh, liberal centrist, sound familiar, and um, George W. Bush, who won um, illegitimately, right? Well, Be- he didn't win the... Uh- he didn't win the popular vote. He didn't win the popular vote. And like, unlike, here's a difference between now and then. Um, there was, there's not really that much uh, scrutiny about Trump breaking the law to get elected. Sure. There was when yeah. Bush got in office. Like he got in office, and I think this has been proven um, in retrospect. The, the Bush, Jeb Bush, Catherine Harris, they like broke the law in Florida to get people off the ballot, to get George Bush launched into the presidency so how does that oh i guess first point how does that influence the way our generation views politics second point with the rise of donald trump could that have happened uh without bush could that the idea that you normalize someone who is borderline retarded and you say like that that person can be president and this still like makes sense and we have to understand in a coherent way in like the media and stuff like that did that normalize the idea of having that kind of person as president. Um, well, I'd like to hear from our guest in a second, but uh, yeah, I think Anders brings up a good point, and let's talk about the similarities in the elections. Yeah, I mean, I feel like it definitely affected voters now because everyone is saying how not a lot of young people came out to vote, mm-hmm. which I think is uh, an annoying thing to say because I feel like everyone sort of knows whether or not you know like a lot about politics that it's like a fucked up corrupt thing and like if like because george bush won the presidency even though he didn't win the popular vote just like donald trump i feel like that makes a lot of people feel like well then what the fuck am i voting for if it doesn't even really matter what i'm they, be, they become more apathetic about the vote it's than w- even all of the all of the other stuff 
Yeah, well, I mean, I just feel like angry and it's either like a weird divide of you either super apathetic about it or you're super angry about it. And either way, you can't figure out what you can do about it. Yeah, that's true. Um, I know that I personally, like when I found out Hillary had the majority of votes, didn't feel anything about it because we already went through this before. Right. Well, like when you're like 10 years old. Mm-hmm. And it was just like, oh, that, did, that was bullshit then. And then you just kind of got over it because time kept passing. Yeah, but like, do you get actually get over that? Because it, then you just dismiss it when it happens again. Right. Well, well, I know the cause. It's the Electoral College, which no one made a motion to fix in the 16 years between these two right, events. Right, It's yeah. not like a ghost came in. Yeah. And it's was- a very <laughs> clear thing that no one decided was important enough to change. So, like, I don't feel that riled up about the popular vote thing. Although, uh, it is some bullshit. Well, how do you remember adults, like, explaining why this is still a democracy? Like, why the Electoral College is a thing? And, like, it, trying to make, like, you know, because it's very hard to understand as a little kid like um some the person who got the most amount of votes did not win like how like how do you remember like how were people explaining that i'm like trying to remember a little bit but it seemed like the the kind of like one flimsy argument was like well that's you know more states uh more representation of the states so population doesn't necessarily make it like a democratic thing so you have more geographic uh, say there but like other than that it's like what this makes no sense uh, I don't know about you guys but I felt like no one tried that hard to explain it to me they were just like uh, th- there were more votes here and this person won and this person should have won and you're still 10 and I was like agreed dragon ball <laughs> <laughs> uh, but now like very much time has passed and the same uh, logic behind the electoral college is already implicit in uh, the other structures we have as the center of our government the senate uh is the two votes per state is not at all reflective of uh per capita wants or like actual populist demands in the country rhode island is way overpowered compared to california (laughs) in the senate and uh i I, who is living under the delusion we actually live in a successful democracy anymore at this point? Right. Um, did you feel that people were explaining, like people made a, a note to explain to you why Absolutely the world not. wasn't working? Well, no. also both yeah. my parents aren't American citizens. They're Australians. They don't even vote. They just get angry no. when they just things. Steal. Yeah, yeah, they just like my whole life. Whenever America's done something stupid, they're just like, "This is the country that you live in. This mm. is stupid." And I'm like, "Okay, I'm ten, and I didn't choose this either. Like, I don't know why Very this is good. now my responsibility." Yeah, I'm like, I guess I'm just angry, especially if they're not doing anything about it. They they don't even understand it. Like, my mom actually emailed me, being like, "Why is there an electoral college?" And I'm like, I. I don't know. I don't. She's like, I don't understand your country. When I get angry, I used to go out and whack a roo, and I can't <laughs> even do that here. Uh, great, great accent. Thank you. It sounds just like my mom got real confused for a I second. I listened to some tapes of your mom before the show started. I'm glad but... you got them. I, I always send those out before I go anywhere, just we, so that I, so someone can get an idea. We can't spend every episode talking about how good my accents are. We will have no time left. Uh, but I have one more thing to bring up first uh, before we pass one of our two microphones again. <laughs> <laughs> uh, uh, a mutual friend of you and I, Anders, uh, and this is like another centrist liberal thing pa- being passed around. The Electoral College works both ways. I read a snarky article from a Yale graduate oh, shit. Uh, mm. that was shared about 
it was from the perspective of Alexander Hamilton um, talking about, you know what, I might be making an ass of myself, it might be James Madison, but whoever designed the Electoral College uh, making a very snarky long essay about, you see, people are too dumb and don't know what they want, and that's why when you get some idiot demagogue around, uh, we have to step in with the Electoral College that plays to our elite games that only we know about and that's what's gonna keep the rubes out of power this was being shared in like september about the how there's no way trump would win and then it worked the other way around uh so yeah there's no real push for an actual populist democracy uh in a way that it is like pitched to kids you know Mm mm-hmm which is just like majority votes wins. That's not how the real world works. And it's not uh, how anybody is trying to shape it. Yeah. I mean, I feel like how do you explain to kids, hey, this is our system and you have no voice in it. Like, <laughs> how do you explain that? And then justify it to yourself as an adult while you're trying to explain to a child. Yeah. There, there's no point. And the liberal, like, Democratic Party response is like, well... You don't, but there's some really smart people who do, and they really know what they're doing, and they have your best interest, maybe not at heart, but at least at uh, artery or something. They know it. They know your best interest. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But it does seem like one of the, and I don't know this for a fact, but it seems like one of the um, institutions that would not like the Electoral College to go is the media, simply because like on election night, it's kind of made for TV. You get to see which state goes which way, and then you count up like the vote. Like it's almost like have putting the first down line in football, and have it like it's a perfect media event. And if you just have two tallies going up and down, like that's not nearly as uh, interesting. You don't get to have the ice hockey it's very rink visually uh, stimulating. Is yeah, it? yeah. They at Rockefeller Center every year they'll do like an, an ice rink of all fifty states, and they'll like. Um, have people like coloring it in when one goes blue or red. Yeah. Um, it, well, it is treated like the ultimate sporting event. I mean, even like in Times Square, they had the Hillary supporters and then the Trump supporter. Or was it was it Times Square? I... Oh, we, I don't know. I'm totally out of the loop on the uh, festival of the election. I yeah. went to sleep. <laughs> um, <laughs> you woke up the next day and it was... Yeah, I kind of like Trump was winning when I went to sleep because I worked as a poll worker the day of. I had to wake up at like four in the morning and then... Uh, at around 11, Trump was winning, but, uh, like, the game wasn't over yet, and she could still technically win. And I was like, I'm sure this will work out. And I went to sleep. Because the Bush election, the one we were talking about now, went to, like, 2 in the morning, and that took two it, more weeks. It, it, it went, not only, it went, I think, a month after. Like, they didn't know the winner for, like, until, like, December. Right? I was deliberately fi- thinking of that one night, like, in West Roxbury, Massachusetts, when I was 10, and didn't even know what any of the numbers meant, and then uh, my mom was all hyped up about it. Like, Chads. Yeah, yeah. yeah, that's what I remember. Chad. Go back to the Chads. <laughs> right. um, back to your earlier point, uh, I don't think the media really is ever an advocate for change of anything. They are just there to show you scary things and have you watch their car commercials. So, right. uh, uh, but that is something that I think this shape too is this idea of blue states and red states. And that was a very uh, prominent kind of paradigm in, like, the 2000s, the aughts. Uh, because if you go back to the 90s, they would flip it every year. So in 96, they were like, uh, Bob Dole wins a state, that's a blue state. Uh, the red states were for the Democrats. They would just switch off every four years. And, like, after 2000, that was like, this is what a red state is. 
this is what a blue state is. And so we got like stuck in this like, you know. If you wear denim, you're going to feel a lot more comfortable in the sandy dunes of Arizona. (laughs) That's where your kind's meant to roam and you got a Jeep Wrangler. Um, where, Where did you grow up? I grew up in L.A. Oh, yeah, okay. Yeah, I know. I feel like you and I were in very similar bubbles. I was in Massachusetts. Anders, Minnesota. I was in Minnesota. In We moved in 2003, but I lived in Virginia, uh, like, not far from D.C., like, Ooh. like right around 9-11. So you're like a real Dixie oh, boy. Okay, Dixie more boy, or less. <laughs> Back on the waves. Related to Robert E. That's right. Probably not true. I don't think he's Norwegian, but uh, yeah. you can go to his house. It's just in a graveyard. The uh, the cemetery, Arlington National Cemetery, they'll have like all the dead soldiers and stuff. Then they just have Robert E. Lee's old house, and like you can go around and like look at his oh, pottery oh, and shit. Wow. I remember this because I went on a tour in the eighth grade of DC, and the, you go to the graveyard, and it was like, and we made Robert E. Lee live here. So look <laughs> at the fucking dead people. <laughs> And everyone was 14 was like, oh, weird. And it just came on. Um, but uh, it does seem like that uh, is kind of coming apart now. Just this idea of like that people like this spectrum of politics in the U.S. and like what that means for you culturally, like because for so long it's like um, you're a conservative. So you like low spending and, and and like the liberals, the opposite of that spectrum. And like they apply that to everybody in the country as if they're going around like looking at charts and shit and not just like looking at you know uh who's the most they're they're not those they're not paying attention to policy issues it's like aesthetics you know well we talked about this in the 96 episode but yeah. they really try to push off that politics is just which taxes you would like and right, right whether right. you would like them to be high or low which is extremely confusing for anybody trying to understand what the concept is uh especially kids uh, were you raised in one of the conservative parts of LA, or? I mean, I get. I mean, I'm from the Valley, so like it was very like it was, it was it was pretty liberal. I mean, my parents are very liberal. So. Right, right. Well, there there are pockets in the area that are yeah. like extremely old money. Kind oh of. yeah, I mean, yeah. I went I went to a bunch of different schools, and a lot of them were very Republican, very conservative, very old money. Ew. I know. <laughs> yeah, I had a I had a lot of fun. You, there were Republicans in Massachusetts, but they were they were only in like spots, and it was just like Douglas owns Wilhelm Corporal, and, and then he like you could spot him from across the hall because his boat shoes were the size of another boy or something. Yeah, <laughs> like you yeah. knew who these people were. Um, it wasn't very divided, even. I like went to a Catholic school for elementary school, and even there, it was only fifty-fifty, and that's among like the most uh, ideologically backward confines you can get trapped in. <laughs> right. right, but it's it does seem like the divides that exist between those people are where politics played out in like the two thousand, because it's like Al Gore, George Bush, they both come from those elite families. John Kerry, same thing. Like they're all just different factions of like the bourgeoisie competing and now we're seeing like trump who you know is kind of of that same ilk but is just like a total question mark as far as everything is concerned so that's like why you saw a lot of those same people start to who are like died in the war republicans go for like clinton this time right right because he's too he uh rejects all of the effort they put into like cotillion and all that that he was supposed <laughs> to learn and instead he was just like i killed a hooker and made a hotel um i actually got invited to cotillion when i was like 
I liked this girl in elementary school in Virginia. Then we moved to Minnesota, and I got a letter that somehow got to my address in Minnesota. That was like, "You're a f- you're cordially invited to uh, oh. Alexandria, Virginia's barn, like cotillion, uh, classic dance." <laughs> And like I couldn't go because I was in Minnesota. I, I was threatened with cotillion whenever really? I wasn't behaving. They have that in LA. Well, it, like etiquette school, but my mom called it cotillion just because I have horrible posture. Wow. I was I was threatened with it. Was and this like for things you did or just for like you look frumpy today? Yeah, that and like not eating properly. She'd be like, my mom would always be like, well, no one's ever gonna take you on a date. They see how you eat, and I'm like, okay. Oh my I'm, god. I'm, I'm, I'm I love my mom. I'm sorry. Right. I feel like I should, but I was. She's the, listening. Yeah, mom. Right now. Yeah, my yeah, my dad's. I told her I was going to do the uh, impression. Well, yeah, <laughs> I know I in. sent you all of her information with uh, copies of her voice before I came mm-hmm. here. What, if I'm not mistaken, what he listened to was her EP, right? <laughs> Yo, mama's so p h a t. Yeah. L A is very progressive in that way. Um, the the cotillion thing. Oh, what I was gonna say is, yeah, nothing will fix your eating issues like going to <laughs> fucking manners school with all yeah. the bulimics. <laughs> Uh, no, oh, you got a pill addiction. Uh, well, that's L.A. in general. Everyone's got a pill addiction. Ooh. Mm-hmm. Um, okay, well. Some of them I vitamins. don't know how to tie this in to the topic. <laughs> um, well, I mean, I do want to move on to further in the 2000s, but... Um, I, I think before we move on further, since uh, we are talking about the 2000s election, which, you know, playing a lot of similarities to here, is people seem desperate now to tie Hillary's loss in to a Green Party spoiler. Like yes, happened yeah, in that's the exactly 2000s. what I was going to bring up. Mm-hmm. Yeah, yeah. And um, it's the narrative doesn't really work this time, but there are people hell bent on making it happen. Um, like, Jill Stein got 1% of the vote. Did you look up how much. Uh, Ralph Nader got in 2000? It was more, I think it was two to th- uh, about 2%. Um, so he didn't even get um, 5%. libertarian numbers. In uh, 2000? Yeah. He's the, he, he was the 2%? Yeah, but he was, for that year, he was the best third party. Um, and he was also, and this is coming off like the heels of Perot, who was like more of a right wing guy. Uh, she heard. Nice. <laughs> Jamie's mom is, is about to call in into the show. She's one of the two listeners. <laughs> I want this to be real. So, <laughs> do you want to like talk to your mom on the air? She would be horrified. You know what? Let's just not. Yeah. <laughs> She's going to be like, what are you doing? In a what? In what? <laughs> <laughs> are you okay? What's the name of the radio station? Yeah. <laughs> is this one of those things where you tell me a code word and someone's abducted you? Is that... <laughs> Is this what's happening right now? Mom. Mom, pick me up from soccer practice. K-piss. K-piss. <laughs> right. Because sound, that sounds normal. And if you're being kidnapped by someone in Brooklyn, I'm doing a podcast. Doing a podcast a, uh, in an alley. <laughs> I don't know the address. In a I hear a train. <laughs> <laughs> that's the, that's the way they know because no one in Brooklyn really does podcasts. So if you tell someone that. Right. Immediate injury. What if Taken, I haven't seen it, but the Liam Neeson movie, like that was in Bushwick. Like, he has to, well, what, yeah. what would ha- Taken, <laughs> Taken Bushwick? He just like storms some art collective and like pulls someone's dreadlock off. Everyone <laughs> looks like they're already in the sex trade. So it's like, <laughs> <laughs> to tell yeah. his daughter. 
everyone looks like they just left it or they're currently in it. The premise yeah. of that movie is insane. It's that if you go to Europe, you will be taken and put on heroin and fucked until you die. That's why people go to yeah. Europe. Yeah. So. Right. A lot of good press. I maybe assuming, but I think it was marketed to... It, I don't think it was marketed to Europeans, was it? Because I feel like that w- that makes so much sense to an American. I mean, they watched it anyway because we have, like, uh, cultural dominance over the fucking world. And people were like, Liam Neeson's killing people? Cool, I don't care why. But, uh, <laughs> uh, what if they... I would totally watch a European movie that was like, we got lost in uh, Utah. And, um, Just the bad, the bad fake southern accents. They yeah. <laughs> European. Like, oh, stranger. <laughs> You're in the wrong part of town. No, I reckon. Uh, anyway, but Nader, um, swell guy. It fa- see, I fa- I've always found him fascinating because he's like, fuck, 87. I don't know how old he is. In his 80s by now. Virgin. Tort reform keeps you young. It does. He's a virgin. He wanted, yes, and really? he wanted to make a a museum about tort law. He did. He, yeah, and I think somebody slipped on a banana peel and like tried to sue him in the museum <laughs> or something. I, or at least that was speculated to happen. Uh, but he, yes, he's a lifelong bachelor. Um, is obsessed with like public policy. He does. He he like just stays up. He sleeps like two hours a night. And he's reading about like fertilizer regulations and shit. I thought he was married or something. No, I just assumed. Never had children. Never married. People don't know if he's had sex with anyone. Is it wrong to say Lindsey Graham of the left? Um, Would that be wrong? <laughs> it, so, do you think he's just well? I don't want to speculate about what's a... going on with Lindsey, but he he's never. I, I don't think. I don't know that he would be ashamed of being gay. Like right, I think right. It, well, that's clearly why Lindsey's not openly gay is because he's actively crusading against the gays so it doesn't the narrative right. doesn't really Never fit did. for ralph but interest but interestingly though Shout nader out. like like in the 90s like because people were starting to think about him as kind of like a political leader um they were like gay marriage right like that's something we can get behind like the, we just had a democratic president who like banned gay ma- or defensive marriage act whatever and he was like uh i'm not going to do go natal politics so his position is like, I just don't want to talk about sex ever. This now sounds um, more like he's in the closet than it did a second. Yeah, <laughs> or maybe he's asexual. Maybe he's weird. He's, he's yeah. I think he just doesn't have yeah. He's just an asexual person. Huh. Well, uh, do you feel like his uh, pent up uh, mojo translates into some of his political actions? Do you think the seatbelt reforms? Yeah, uh, well, kind of. I mean, in order to get that passed, he I was. I just need someone or something to hold me. Yeah. A belt of some kind. Well, here, well maybe, but the, he actually was um, spied on by General Motors, and they would send prostitutes to, like, uh, corner him in the grocery store and be like, we're having a discussion about foreign affairs. Wouldn't you? And so they like, would try to, like, photograph him, like, with a hooker. Oh, my God. Like Martin Luther King style. Yeah. Like ex- the FBI used to do to Bar Luther King. Right, except Nader would never, like, he just wouldn't. Yeah, he didn't fuck. Right. He was not that kind of leader. Not yeah. down, not yeah. down. Like, they tried to break him. Yeah, and he's, he, so he's like this o- iconoclastic, like, stuff. And maybe this, those pent up, uh, if he does have some inkling of sexuality in there, maybe that comes out into just his stubbornness politically. Um, which I think it's like, because I was thinking about this. 
back then, and I think that's one of the big differences between then and now. Uh, now we have, you know, like uh, Bernie Bros and Libertarian, and just all this, like the diversity of thought is a lot more now, I think, just in general. Like a lot of different points of view being represented in the media landscape, relatively speaking, because back then it was like anything left of Bush, I would just lump in together. So anything from Al Franken to Noam Chomsky was part of the same thing. And Nader was one of the only people who was like, no, there are like important issues here that we're not looking at. We're all in Green Day's fan club. Yeah. When it comes right. down to it. Yeah. We're all, yeah, Some exactly. More than We're others. not American idiots, and we can be on that team, and these guys are idiots. So we're not them. And friends don't let friends vote Bush. And you're a dummy if you do. And that was kind of the extent of a lot of people's opinion back then. A lot, a lot. of backslapping happening for yeah. around a full eight years. <laughs> right. Uh, but interestingly, though, I. You know, to look at some of the critiques of Nader, I mean, there's the obvious, you were talking about the spoiler thing, and, you know, we could go on and on about that, but I do think there are some problems that have, like, what I have um, was looking at for the episode today about how he, because he's, like, very much a product of the Cold War, was, like, scared of ideology, he was scared of calling himself a socialist or anything like that, and he really was No label socialist. Exactly, yeah, like, he wanted a lot of social democratic policies, but he had no real... His thing behind it was still like a better... It was just capitalism. Um, and that's what the left had to work with after the Cold War. Um, and But because of that, when Bush got into office, he didn't try to lead a movement out in the streets and anything like that. He tried to appeal to the Bush administration in the, first, in the months leading up to 9-11. He was like, let's get uh, consumer advocacy issues more like in the political... Like have them compete for that, the Democrats and Republicans... Um, and I feel like that's misses. I mean, cause you say what you will about Bernie, like running in the democratic party, he at least seems to be still invested in dissent to some extent anyway. Definitely. I'm trying to get up the article you shared with me, uh, world socialist website from 2001 about him kind of like Dick riding Bush. Yeah. Cause he was trying mm-hmm. to be Bush's little pet for, and he didn't talk any shit about, uh, the i mean he does he did after the iraq war and all that stuff when it's was very clear like you're not going to get like there's n- how futile like trying to work with bush about anything would be but um like for the first eight months he was like talking about he was trying to get like corporate welfare uh get that issue paid more attention to i'll trade you all right uh yeah i think this ties back strongly into what you were saying just a moment ago that uh the political system felt a lot more binary or at least the cultural felt a lot more binary and that uh either like you want big taxes and you love priuses so you're a democrat or you're like a good old boy and you have a big old hat so you're a republican and that was the natural like national discourse for uh years until war kind of expanded it slightly uh but yeah i didn't i didn't know anyone outside of the uh Republican liberal uh, conversation until maybe college or after. Did yeah. you did you know anybody like that? No, or? I mean especially just because like my parents also like didn't have much of an interest in politics because they couldn't do anything about it. Right. Um. So all I really saw was from the media and from conversations and from like my own research. But it was just only like 
I didn't even understand anything outside of a two-party system, really. Did your parents get interested in Australian politics? Did you hear, like, a lot of, about that around the house? No, not really. They're just just two people with green cards just living just, living and hating what's going on is, are, are you part of like a family band or something <laughs> <laughs> a band of sorts uh but yeah i don't know we i killed people we can, yeah uh <laughs> wing uh no i don't know i feel like i feel like unless you are surrounded by people who constantly want to have conversations like this or like are like really involved and understand what's going on like and and you do your own personal research like the media is only going to show you what they want to show you and unless you like investigate with your own time or you're around people that like are educated this is almost pre-internet too yeah i mean 2000 yeah i think i got my first desktop computer when i was 10 so that was 2002 so yeah this is pretty much yeah, or like very early, and I remember my dad showing me Google very excitedly when I was eleven, being like, "I see you, you want to know where DVDs are? Click." <laughs> yeah, and that was the whole presentation for me. And then I found all kinds of backwards porn and stuff. But uh, yeah, I mean, we all we all did because it was all all of the like early porn on the internet is hilariously crude and simple. Like there wasn't this huge database you have now where it's kind of like. Porn right now is very postmodern, and we could do a whole episode <laughs> on this. And just like you can, there, it's almost as if you're designing the porn you want by searching for it, because there's just been so much recorded, and there's so much money. There's so in many it. keywords. Yeah, and that's not that's not even including the dark net, which I'm not on, which is where uh, the, the 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 like blood magic is. Um, <laughs> Are you familiar with blood magic? What's blood magic? All right, so blood magic, and I'm speaking generally, is just uh, usually in fiction of forbidden magic. Uh, You know, it's like dark. It's like if you want to summon a demon or like blow someone up or something. Uh, So that's what that was a shout out to. Uh, How much anime did you guys watch from 2000 (laughs) to 2004? Was it all of it? Like me? Uh, I. I, my favorite was Lupin the Third, which I didn't have cable, so I couldn't see it that much. But it was about a burglar. It's in a lot of rap songs. Is it? Lupin the Third. Yep. I've never seen it. Is it's it... pretty old. It's like from the eighties. Oh. But uh, that's just what the time was like. Yeah. It was like there's no internet. You're watching Lupin the Third. Uh, you're living in a liberal bubble, and everyone is listening to grungy rock still a little bit, or like Linkin Park's type stuff was huge oh yeah big lincoln park it was like crawling in our skin back then in my skin in my skin excuse me oh i i don't uh uh, attribute identity in that way it's always we or are okay it's a woke podcast guys uh anders did you get up a clip for us there what were you doing oh well yeah i was gonna i mean this about 2004 about the election then okay do we have any any more thoughts on the original one because obviously and like i brought this up before and when we were planning the episode and like kind of thinking about what we should look into neither of us really mentioned 9-11 because just because i feel like right now we're thinking about the election right uh 9-11 definitely uh well, it was a paradigm shift internationally, nationally, but it also just changed uh, Bush's job from being like subtle wonkiness in Capitol Hill to becoming uh, the war leader, uh-huh. which carries him into 2004. Um, I do, do you? All right, this is almost scary to say, uh, and so in the like most speculative 
we're all high fuck it way like do you think like some big event could happen uh we'll see some kind of other big thing maybe it won't be a terrorist attack maybe it'll be uh internment camps trump is trying to make right now based on the japanese internment camps of uh, world war ii uh for muslims or um well i mean economy crash or i mean it's not like totally out of the question at all i think that's what's so scary is i mean i feel like in a few years people are going to instead of saying like a post 9-11 world it'll be like a post-trump world really or post-trump america or whatever big event it is whatever big event yeah because that's the thing is bush barely wins the white house but after 9-11 has this huge upsurge in popularity for a while and it keeps him going and i think without a big event the left could kind of organize and unite and kind of like toil maybe get something together in four years but i don't think the right which owns the entire country now is going to stop moving i think something even even if it's not a big event there's going to be such a landslide of legislation changes and kind of the whole uh landscape of washington that uh we're going to be operating under very different uh conditions yeah i mean i think uh well uh, we were just last night at the, this lecture with Richard Wolf, who was saying that it, another financial crisis yeah. is almost inevitable. Back and, in the hippie commune where we fucked off. Right. right. Uh, and that, I think, the question then is, like, is the response to that? So it won't be like 9-11, but the response to it, I think the far right is going to try to infuse, like, more xenophobia and we have, this means we have to deport people and because we're vulnerable right now we're more susceptible to muslims and all that stuff so it won't necessarily be like a jesus christ what if he got two terms that just like don't now like what, yeah and that's he, like the thing, won us over halfway through right and it's like it seemed so obvious that bush was not gonna even after 9-11 i think like it seemed so like common sense that he wasn't going to be reelected. Because he was so clownishly dumb that people kind of seemed to take him for granted. And that's exactly what happened with Trump. So, I mean, that's why we're having an episode about it is kind of like this very uncomfortable deja vu uh, we're having. Mm-hmm. But it's not even like he's just clownishly dumb. He's scary. I oh, think. yeah, Trump and, is. Yeah. Compared so, to Bush. But yeah, they so do have this kind of like can't talk right thing going of, on. Of together. course. Yeah. Without offending someone or without just being an overall idiot. Of course. I mean, I remember when I was growing up, there'd be like book of like Bushisms, and yeah. it's like like stickers and like funny quotes and things like that. And like that's horrifying to have that. Like that's our president. Like I'm in Tower Records, like, and all I see <laughs> is like a table of like, haha, how stupid is our president? And that's like a weird, especially when you're growing up and you're trying to understand politics and it's like oh like the president's just like always kind of stupid like you like (laughs) that's kind of like what you learn is like oh like no one can do things right like leader of the country is the biggest joke on at the tower records joke table like that's weird the president is a guy uh he's from connecticut but he talks like he's from the south and uh (laughs) he like sometimes has a fight with a pretzel alone in his office and then there's also like uh you could be whatever job you want but they're all like that uh, just there's nothing at the top for you. You can stay at the bottom. Yeah, I mean that. It's <laughs> <laughs> uh, almost like a snake impression from Mel <laughs> <laughs> Well, do you? Th- I mean, is that is Trump going to be as funny? Because if we, I'm almost reached a point where it's like, uh, like do we made- really want to keep ma- get mining this for like it just stops being funny after a while. 
in a way that I think Bush kind of did, you know, the late 2000s, like he kind of... I think it's just the nature of media now, and we're all in the comedy community in New York, where in this year and a half we've had of Trump running for president, there's been as much media as six years of Bush uh, being the president, <laughs> and we've already just burnt the candle into the fucking ground, and no one wants to hear it anymore. Um, the Trump hot takes are, have gotten too hot. I can't... Too hot to handle. Too hot. Uh, I had to host an open mic two days after the election last week, and I went into it, into it with the implied understanding of, like, look, everyone's upset, and we're, there's going to be Trump hot takes. It's not what you want to hear, but it's what we have it's, to hear. Yeah. <laughs> because, like, also when something like that happens, I mean, like, Mike or a show, like... How do you like ignore that the whole country's falling apart? And then it's like, okay, but like my family's wacky. Like you have to like talk about it a little bit. Almost to like tie it into your normal material. Well, yeah, that's what you like. Because I mean, you have to yeah. contextualize this fucked up turn of events we all are experiencing together. Yeah, no, it's true. Somebody was telling me from the Philly scene that there's a huge divide over the club comics and the alt comics because the club comics were all Trump guys. Oh. And then, <gasps> Whoa. Yeah. And then that's being, yeah. nuts. Really? Mm-hmm. So could just imagine. Imagine the bloodbath of uh, I mean, stage already. time. Yeah, my God. Uh, who's humping the stool? Who has the material conditions? Yeah. <laughs> Jesus. Oh, man. That's the one thing New York spares you from is uh, there is not a there's pretty much not a Trump contingency here. I, I was right. I mean, I was right off the Morgan L the day after. There was a girl wearing a Trump hat. And I was so surprised off the, off the morgan now though that's probably an ironic hat it Just was very not it was a it was the day after the election she was standing outside of a cafe and just smiling at everyone oh. walking by it was horrifying did she have black eyes what <laughs> she it was weird because it was that thing of like well i don't want to yell at you or be mad i was like on my way to the protest but it's how mm-hmm. do you it's like well then you're an idiot and that's the thing with with trump more so than Bush, it's like not only are you an idiot, but like you're a racist and like you're a misogynist and like you're like oh, like it's it's hard to not loop all of that in. And then when you see someone that you know or someone that voted for Trump, it's like hard to not get so emotional and angry about it. Have you found that? And this is what I I, I found that like the people I know who voted for Trump, I'm just kind of like. Yeah, that's Donnie. He's a jackass. But the people I don't know, I'm just like, I might kill you. Yeah, no. You might die. <laughs> no, I got into my first ever Facebook comment fight about no, I know. I'm so sorry. It's okay. I was like drunk and it was 5 a.m. And it was like an old friend. Not an old friend. I haven't oh. seen her since I was 15. Uh-huh. She was like gloating about Trump winning. And it was very bizarre. Right, yeah. It's, we got... I, don't, I, don't, I can't speak for Anders, but I was just locked in. Because Facebook the day after the election was just a chorus of screams. Yeah. It was just everyone losing their minds at once in a way. With the, there was no, like, actual conversation about anything. Less than usual, which is already very tenuous on Facebook. Mm-hmm. Um, but I, it was just, like, a lot. Everyone I knew was just, like... Uh, big Hillary fans pointing fingers or people who were anti-Hillary pointing fingers at the Hillary people. Um, And then later in the day, the fingers kind of pointed towards the same direction (laughs) towards Trump. But there was a lot of just like spinning. And so I was like, you, you did this Uh, for for at least 24, 48 hours. Yeah. And I mean, it seems like uh, on the one hand, it's like just by virtue of the bickering, it seems you want to be above it. 
you know like oh this is a minor point let's just come together and you're immature if you want to but at the same time like you got to point a couple fingers here and there you know yeah, some people like there's some things Oh, it I don't. Was pointing fingers. Were you pointing fingers? I was pointing. I was point, oh yeah, I haven't done it, you know, publicly yet. Uh, not that my I would reach anyone, but um, it does seem <laughs> like you know a problem in the two thousands is where the fingers got pointed, and it was like mm-hmm. um, this small this thing that just kind of disappeared, like right after, like right before. Uh, there's like this. Right before Bush, there's this anti-globalization movement, the WTO, and in Seattle, and all that stuff, and it kind of culminated in Do you Nader. Want to explain that real quick, just because I feel like if you're listening to the show, that would be an exciting thing to hear about. The 1999, a bunch of protesters blocked delegates from getting to the World Trade Organization summit in uh, Seattle, and then um, there's that was they would do summit hopping, like go to a lot of summits and stuff, and do set cop cars on fire. Yeah, every now and again some people in the thing would and then other people would yell at them and then they would have a their own little back and forth but they were all part of like something that was like this neoliberal there was a project. pushback that yeah yeah there, there was some like this clintonism isn't working it's leaving people behind um and it's exploiting people and uh that kind of got silenced real quick after 9-11 and so the less and like the takeaway we had from then is like those people got to shut up and we got to like do the same thing we just did and like try to but faster and with yeah. bombing and uh... right and that's like Kerry was not was running in a lot of ways to the right of Bush on the Iraq war um, isn't it weird the Democrat Party's pattern of losing as they try to roll righter than the Republicans <laughs> yeah like and that's and that it goes back to that like thing if you look at things like that people are just looking at this spectrum of like liberal to conservative like gee well this person is more you know to, on this issue like than this person like no it's about fucking aesthetics and if you had somebody come in there and it's like this is fucked up let's get out of it that stands a better chance than like john Kerry saying like we we're just uh, we just have to i'm not going to try to do an impression in but uh <laughs> you should. i need to prepare a little bit more should i do another one can you do a john Kerry impression you're from massachusetts Oi! Get off! Get off of it! You, you bloody tourists! You old! I was in the Vietnam War in a boat, and I remember back, back when they told me off a boat. And where were you? You were out there in your ranch in Connecticut. Bugger off, why don't you? Why don't you bugger off? Uh, how was that? I, it was great. I was going to say, why don't you channel my Australian mom's voice that you were? <laughs> so I, I, I think, yeah, John Kerry as my Australian mom as opposed to my other mom's. Okay. Um, now, you guys are going to notice a lot of subtle differences between my British accent and my Australian accent okay. because there's a lot of uh, just delicate touches to it. But it's, um... Oi! Oh, this ain't some rule you can go and beat around the bush. This is the bloody country, innit? This is a whole bloody country and you have to treat it with respect. That's why I moved to California, eh? <laughs> that... <laughs> 
You just you just did a Cockney accent. You went from sort of British to like super old school. There's Cockney. different parts of England is a rich culture. Uh, oh no, I, I I get it. I can, and I've sworn this to Anders like five times, maybe on this show. But if I hear an accent in the last like hour or so, I can usually emulate it. And then if I have to like bring it up, I don't remember what they sound like. Um. But back to what Anders was saying, where these great accents came in, that kind of is the importance of finger pointing sans a 9-11 type event is uh, you have to learn what mistakes you made so you can not make them again. Mm-hmm. Um, so it does have that benefit. All right, now we have a hot clip for you. Uh, what is this? We're about to the hear. Debate in 2004. This is the debate from 2004. George Bush, John Kerry. Uh, see if you can tell the difference between my impression and the man. Let's do it. We're going to build alliances. We're not going to go unilaterally. We're not going to go alone like this president did. Mr. President, let's extend for a minute. Let me just one point. I've got to answer this. Well, I mean, I, exactly. And with reservists being held on duty. Let me answer this, what he just said about Well, going I wanted to alone. get into the issue you of the You tell Tony draft. Blair we're going alone. Tell Tony Blair we're going alone. Tell Servio Berlusconi we're going alone. Tell Alexander Kwasniewski of Poland we're going alone. Got 30 countries there. It denigrates an alliance to say we're going alone to discount their sacrifices. You cannot lead an alliance if you say, you know, you're going alone. And people listen. They're sacrificing with us. Senator. Mr. President. Countries are leaving the coalition, not joining. Eight countries have left it. If Missouri, just given the number of people from Missouri are in the military over there today, were a country, it would be the third largest country in the coalition behind Great Britain and the United States. That's not a grand coalition. Ninety percent of the casualties are American. Ninety percent of the costs are coming out of your pockets. I could do a better job. My plan does a better job. And that's why I'll be a better commander-in-chief. Wow, so I could not hear that because I didn't have headphones, but I did get to watch Anders and Jenny's faces as <laughs> as the clip played. Anders, you got to pause it. Oh, okay. I'm sorry. Again, I do not have headphones. Uh, so do you guys want to summarize what I just missed? Uh, I'm dying to know. Uh, well, it's like John Gary makes a great point if you are a you live in Washington, D.C., you work for a foreign policy think, st- think tank, you eat biscotti for breakfast every day. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, that's who that makes sense to, basically saying the Iraq war is okay, the intentions are good and everything, but we need to take a more internationalist diplomatic approach to this fucking jargon, like this new, like this piece, this policy review paper that he's trying to pitch as like, a passionate fucking thing <laughs> that voters are like, going to latch on to. I feel like the Democrat uh, catchphrase is, you're right, but. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And then everything else falls from there. Um, actually, <laughs> that's Vox's That's Vox's motto. I, th- I think their uh, slogan, um, actually. He wrote his uh, PhD in, uh, <laughs> Dr. Vox wrote his PhD in, um, actually. Uh, okay, so what did George Bush do after that where both of you gasped and grabbed your headphones? Oh. <laughs> Alexander Kozneski of Poland. <laughs> yeah. He just, I mean, honestly, just his entire presence is just not 
like he he sounds like he's trying to like the way he's walking and like trying to get people on board with him and it's like you're looking at his face and you could tell that even he doesn't really know what the fuck he's saying and like how can i say I swear. Can I say bad yeah, words? Yeah. Um, <laughs> yeah, I don't know if can. I can say bad words. I said retard earlier. I feel kind of bad about it. So uh-huh. apologies to anyone who's. There's only moving forward from now. We're but fuck is ab- above board. They're not welcome. Mm-hmm. Fuck is above board. All vulgar words, just not uh, denigrational. Yes. <laughs> okay. Uh, good. Good. Um, I just think his entire presence, and it's almost. I mean, you didn't hear it, but he was like almost waiting for people to like applaud mm-hmm. like that's what it sounded like he was like waiting <laughs> for people to be like as if he so, wished they would clap but yeah. couldn't come out and say it and then he just like smiles and like goes back and he could see in his head like what did i say wrong like where did i lose you guys and then john Kerry's just like well what's shocking about this is he's already been president for four years when that tape happened he's had a lot of public speaking experience uh on that level, like, I mean, I'm sure I'd fuck up a hour-long public speech at this juncture, but I'm also not the motherfucking president <laughs> yeah. of the country. Uh, he just, he, George Bush has an uncanny attribute of never seeming like he really can read people's faces. <laughs> he He's the guy who, like, doesn't understand context clues when, like, you're trying to, like, leave right. a social situation. He's the guy that just, like, hangs out at the party. He's the guy that leaves the party last and just, like, hangs out when everyone's tired. I think that's why the Republicans like him. Is kind of, He's, like, their rain man. He's, yeah. Uh... He can't read facial or content. If you drop coins, he knows how many it was. Yeah. And then also you can trick him into doing things because he's dumb as hell. Yeah. But that's, yeah, and that's been, because it seems like for a long, long, really long time, we wanted the president to be really smart. That was kind of the most important thing. And, uh, yeah, a little charisma, but, like, just really bright and, you know, you have a good idea of politics, policy. You know, and then Reagan kind of was like, he's able to connect with people on a very performative level. And Clinton, very good at that, too. And then you have Bush, who, you know, you're saying it doesn't necessarily. <laughs> it's just doing. <laughs> yeah. Like but he's still, it's involved, still an act. Huh? It's still, it's, but, and that it, act worked at the time. But it, it's weirdly, it is weirdly, like, lovable. It's like, yeah. oh, the lovable idiot. It's like, it's, <laughs> that's kind of what it is. He's like that. Georgia wouldn't hurt nobody. Yeah. Maybe some mayor Georgia. He's just trying to go out there and lead the free world. Exactly. He just. And he's so mad you took his ball. Why did he have to do that? He loves that ball. He's just like an angry, sad, like confused kid. Mm-hmm. And I maybe that, I mean, I don't know. I feel like, I mean, we all are to some extent. But oh. he, I know. But he really, it's just like, what the fuck are you doing? I felt it's great like, sympathy for George Bush when you said that. Yeah, well, I mean, it's, it's like when I get like the same feeling to an extent when I'm, I mean, I don't have children, but I feel like it would be like watching your kid like doing their first tap dance recital, and it's just like, don't fuck up, don't fuck up, don't fuck up. Like uh-huh. watching them like ruin everything. It's uh-huh. like, God, like what are you doing? That's so dangerous, though, and it's a trap. I feel like everyone is falling into yeah. specifically right now and during this election was Trump was running. He was grabbing people by the pussy, talking about it on television, just being a racist, making fun of handicapped journalists, and then everyone turned around and was like. 
Man, wasn't Bush so cool? And he wasn't no, cool. He, he was, was terrible. terrible. Yeah. Stop acting like you're excited. Glenn Beck is here. It's weird. Yeah. But like that just proves how terrible Trump is, and it, and how it is so much worse. It's just not helpful to go back to these other not. terrible people. And I feel like, and, like there's a real them. risk of uh, of uh, like getting. Like, the goal of the political organizing becomes, like, can we get the Kissingers on board <laughs> instead of, like, coming up with a platform that wins over the majority of people? Um, what, yeah. What you were saying a second ago, uh, the talk about uh, the old understanding of a president as a as an individual with a great uh, wielding of intellect so that it can trap... Uh, America's foes in a prison of their own logic. Uh, that is still that's still around, and the identity politics has almost Obama. only gotten worse. Yeah, yeah, people love Obama. There were there were like f- hundreds of retweets from from uh, just statements that were just like Obama was was the man that lends you his lawnmower, and Trump <laughs> is the man that takes it away, or something. It was just like people freaking out, and uh, policy just gets so lost. Uh, in in we just, it's like an evolutionary misstep. Yeah, because it's, it's, like it's too crude. Right, and it. I mean, it, I do think Trump is worse than Bush, but at the end of the day, it's like, what are you really so? I mean, I don't want to talk about I, now is different because we don't know what's going to happen, and it is very scary. But like, what? Like, there was so much emotion riding on John Kerry, Obama getting in office, and ever just feels so much better. But what has actually changed all the bad things that you hated? Was that about those things, those policies? Or was it about you just really didn't like this guy or the people who supported him? And now a guy I do like and my friends kind of won. And now we're we're just in good spirits, you know? Yeah, there definitely there is a whole the the media relation with the president from person to person is very strange because when a politician is running, the question is like, hey, would you want to hang out with Bernie Sanders or would you want to hang out with Hillary Clinton? Or like, who would you let behind the wheel? Neither, and, to be honest. Yeah, like they're both old biddies. Yeah. <laughs> the, the, the thing, and you, I mean, the left is as guilty as this as anybody else. When Bernie was running, it was like, look at how he handshakes black folk, whereas Hillary can't handshake black folk. Or, like, he's playing basketball. Isn't that cool? And it's just completely beside the yeah. point. And it made sense to trick people in the 1850s that way, but it's just, like, a distraction now. But that just sort of proves how much people are not actually invested and they just want to see what the media or whatever their Facebook feed or whatever it mm-hmm. is wants. Like, they want to appeal to most people and most people don't actually do their own research yeah and that's the only way you do it is if you like humanize or dehumanize someone right that's like the only way it didn't really work though because we uh demonized the shit out of trump and he still took it (laughs) but enough people like that demonization and like motivated them even more yeah um i mean it does seem like i i like it was weird during when bernie's was still in it because it was like um, he. This is about a bigger thing. It's not just about one individual leader and stuff. But at the same time, like you have to all also accept all the people who just see like, oh, angry old guy, cool, you know? Because he, because <laughs> if you look at like Dennis Kucinich, who tried to do the same thing, 
in you know 2004 2008 he undermined he you know couldn't get anywhere just because of who he was you know because his image he's just a people don't take him seriously because of the ufo thing and he's short and all that stuff and bernie like is a different image of a person but represents the same political ideas and because it, we are in such a personality driven you know political system like that's what was effective I would argue, though, that Bernie wasn't effective because uh, he was a different curmudgeonly old man. I think that the condition has changed from 2004 to 2016, and the condition changed from 2004 sure, to 2012. Sure, but would you, if you think if Bernie hadn't run and Kucinich ran again, do you think it would have worked nearly as well? Well, no, because he'd already been discredited twice. Okay, but if you got, you know, some... I think if he showed up on the scene for the first time, he has a very Ron Paulish-like thing going for him where he's like, I keep, I keep the Constitution in my jacket. And he's on the Colbert Report. Uh, he's, like, hitting all the same markets. I'm not saying Dennis Kosinich would have done as well, but I don't think he would have done uh, marginal, I mean, like, hugely worse. I think if we had a staunch progressive who was the same kind of stubborn old guy... Uh, we would have seen a similar but different phenomenon. Mm-hmm. I mean, we're so deep in the land of what ifs by this point. Yeah, there's yeah, no yeah, way yeah. of proving that. But uh, but looking back a little bit, what do you remember about the first time you came across Barack Obama? Like, because mm-hmm. that seems like a very big difference between. Because in the some in on one sense, it is a harken back to that idea of the president we we're talking about before, like cerebral and uh not interested in like gimmicky he's the most charming man in the world i mean there's a reason everyone loves him he's super cool he's nice he talks to kids he speaks eloquently he's a law professor he always leaves you with the impression that if you don't agree with him it's because you don't fully get it yet (laughs) and that's all an act that is deliberately curated by the man uh but it works and i mean it's definitely a benefit to have your shit together as a politician, uh, but I'm not sure the actual results in policy and outcome would be that much different if you had like a big slob Barack Obama versus you had the charming man Barack Obama. Well, I just remember he represented such a beacon of hope at that time. And I just remember like I couldn't even vote yet, but I remember that was the first election I ever got really passionate about. Of Like this is someone that could actually affect change and like not really fully understanding how but it just it was he exciting explicitly that he would yeah that well, was this whole thing is like change change you love it change hope anders you campaigned for him did you say uh yeah i went to i was actually i did a little volunteering i mean i think a lot of kids were but uh i didn't do any so the the XL Energy Center in St. Paul, Minnesota. I was there the night he clinched the Democratic nomination oh. in 2008, um, and it was yeah, it was like a lot of very emotional and stuff. But I think the big difference between now and then is like you talk to people and it's like uh, it was all about this guy and he represented so much like these things, these personal things that people attach to him and you t- and I think you go to you know a political event now the one of the good things is people are actually talking about issues people are actually talking about like nobody at an Obama rally was like now is really the time 
we're gonna uh, fix Wall Street. You know, like that was, I guess, kind of in his platform a little bit. We needed Obama to happen before we could talk about the issues because we won the most handsome man in the world and already. uh, I mean, we have history to look back on that now in a way we didn't before when it was unite against Bush. And that's what we need to learn from this time when we unite against Trump. Um, I don't think the same thing will happen again this time. I don't think there's going to be another Obama. Really? In four or eight years? Well, what do you mean by Obama? Like another... I don't think a charming centrist is going to win us over the same way that that he did yeah, because but, we all hated Bush. But here's the thing. At the time, he wasn't seen as a centrist He because that's how, how constrained things were back then. He was seen as the progressive alternative. Like he kind of filled the gap uh, Bernie Sanders did now, and that's what the divide was between progressives and neoliberals in 2008. But, they, but that's because they attached so much onto Obama that he gave them no reason to actually have faith in. Like, he was never that different from the Clinton wing. It's just that's it was a personality thing even back then. Or, or well, especially back then. And it's become a little bit less of that. Uh, Janie, I want to ask you, like, do you find that people are maybe more politically engaged now? Do you think there's an upsurge around people our age to maybe go out and vote or organize? Because Anders and I have been trying to get involved in groups and like going to protests and stuff but we're very in a bubble and uh we already have our politics mostly decided so i can't really tell looking at the people we know if that's a phenomenon or just like a personal thing i definitely think it is a phenomenon but also like i also like went to the new school like i went to like a progressive like liberal right so i've always been around no help (laughs) yeah i'm not because i've like i am in the same bubble and that's why i think when everyone was shocked or surprised, it's because we're all, I mean, it's everyone's saying that we're all in our bubbles. Like, why would I choose to be friends with people that would vote for Trump? That's a whole different kind of person than I'm used to. It's a whole different kind of person I've ever hung out with. Right. So I've only ever been around, I guess, like angry people. I. But if you can I'm, get enough like okay so a good example in 2008 i was very on board for obama and i was very excited he was running but i didn't even consider for a second helping his campaign no for bernie's campaign i mean i was eight years older so i mean there is that difference but also you and i phone banked anders and we went around door to door during the primary and uh we like shared and told all our friends how we felt and that they should help and um uh I don't know, like, with a leadership of more invested liberals or uh, left-wing people, you might actually have more of a push uh, than we saw in marginally invested people in 2008 who just mostly wanted to see the end of a Bush-type regime. Hopefully. (laughs) Yeah, I don't know. I I do a lot of theory crafting. I mean, I definitely think people are way more passionate. I think... They were passionate before this. I mean, people that were like very much like Bernie or Bernie or bust. And I just feel like I've never, I mean, I've never busted. I've never, I've never busted. So <laughs> I left just I exclusive. Yeah. <laughs> Jenny has um, never left I've busted. Never busted. But <laughs> I, <laughs> we're going to have that as a button on the show. <laughs> <laughs> um, so that was a really emotional election for me, but I I do feel like people are, are more 
uh, inclined to get involved and people are way more passionate. But I also think people don't know. I mean, now with the outcome, people don't know what to do with that. Really, all that. Like, I guess new fire or new interest in, like, wanting to understand how to make things better. I agree. Um, and Andrews and I have been trying to get more involved with a group because I feel like being part of a group is all of the difference between having an opinion and actually doing a thing. Uh, but I guess uh, since we're near the end of the episode now, uh, any what what else was going on in the 2000s? Did we miss anything? I feel like we really... We, we got the spread. <laughs> Emo. Emo, emo emo was there emo was there emo's still here it didn't die it didn't yeah. there is a new wave of like uh pop punk totally that's all over the that's modern also... baseball very popular right now mm-hmm. it's also mm-hmm. how you how you uh describe emo there's different kinds of emo the backlash against emo is so weird because the bottom line of it is like sometimes it get emotional and then yeah. the other people were like fuck you i've never been emotional <laughs> yeah. i fucking rode a tank over my dog and then i fucking came on it yeah yeah <laughs> i mean i i like both drowning pool style yeah uh, oh, <laughs> the bodies it's, it's yeah. real good it's good karaoke jam i saw a comedy show where uh people had to sing uh songs in the middle of their act and one girl picked let the bodies to the floor and when she had to commit to it oh boy did you see her regretting that because oh. <laughs> she uh. had to fuck it she did all the screaming That's she did all the i mean she really she was like doing a pretty good job but people were listening to jokes and then drowning pool kicked in they were like oh like i was trying to be supportive yeah. in the second <laughs> row and it was even like no i don't want this to happen also you forget how long that song is that goes it's on like a lot it's long. a really I, I've I've had to commit karaoke to that song and then realizing oh shit this oh, is not no. two minutes this is that's why I'm scared of karaoke is because like you can make a mistake and get a lot of judgment in there that's fine also once I swing I swung <laughs> once, a- I, ah! once I swing ha huh. this is why people like me because I'm an endearing George Bush figure but um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, I, I was at karaoke at Pine Box on a Saturday night and there was a guitar solo in the middle of my song so I started swinging the microphone because I didn't know that was bad for microphones and the woman acted like she like who ran the thing was acted like she was going to physically hurt me she she didn't stop the song she stormed on the stage and was just screaming off microphone just like you can do whatever you want you can just bring in here you can damage our equipment she wasn't just like stop swinging it was just like who are you (laughs) then the song kept going i had to keep singing the song what song was it under the bridge downtown red hot chili peppers oh wow i well that's actually funny i had i had a traumatic experience doing red hot chili peppers karaoke because i usually do rage against the machine killing in the name of because i like to scream so good it's real fun um but i went to karaoke at alligator lounge and they have karaoke yeah friday nights Free pizza, karaoke. Shout out to Alligator Lounge. Shout out Alligator Lounge. Um, You guys got to move here. It's fun. Yeah. A lot of karaoke. Just don't do Red Hot Chili Peppers, (laughs) I guess. Um, But I don't remember. I think I was doing By the Way. And at the end, I just started screaming. And the guy turned off my microphone and was like, no, don't do that. Who are these power tripping karaoke czars? I know. (laughs) the city. Maybe it's the same person. Maybe or like a couple that was just a part that night or something. <laughs> Have you had any, had any bad karaoke experiences? Because that was my nine eleven callback. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I performed badly, but I've never been censured for it by the 
host. Oh, I've never oh. performed badly, so I guess in that way we're I'm, different. I'm also in the same boat. Mm, yeah. I I used to do karaoke once a week when I was living in LA. That's where I met my um, conspiracy theorist ex-boyfriend when I was 21. Well, like at a well, bar. well. Um, so be careful, young 21-year-olds who are listening, and also my mom. <laughs> Don't go to karaoke bars in the valley. Stay away, Mrs. Janney. Yeah. <laughs> Just go go find a roux. Just take your anchor out. Stop calling mom. <laughs> <laughs> uh, before before we uh, wrap up, do you have any good conspiracy theories you'd like to share from this boyfriend? <laughs> What's your favorite 9-11 um, My favorite 9-11 conspiracy? There's usually only <clears throat> one, isn't there? Uh, it was, uh, uh, yeah, it was not an inside job. That's the real conspiracy. Um, <laughs> but he, it wasn't 9-11 ones. There was one... Um, that Bill and Hillary Clinton partake in an annual ritual where they have sex with children and then Billary. sacrifice them. Snackrifice? They snackrifice <laughs> them. <laughs> they <laughs> snackrifice. They eat the child they like hors d'oeuvres. Chi- yeah, it's. Uh, <laughs> that's a good word. Um, yeah, they, that, they have sex with children and then sacrifice them. That's my fave. I mean, who doesn't do that? Yeah, I mean, what do you do when you have so much power and and money and influence? You ruin children. You ruin children. That's <laughs> what you do. I mean, they're extra ruined if you kill you, them. <laughs> are you ruining them or are you, you know, cooking them to a better place? Cooking them like cooking. <laughs> letting them fulfill their full potential. Sacrifice. I think snacking is the highest form of existence, and so in that way, they are improving these kids. Yeah. And that's what I think we learned, um, um, you know, from the 2000s. We may have had a rough start to this century, but I think the benefit of what we went through is we have discovered how good cannibalism, cannibalism can be because that's the point we're going to right now. Right. We're going to need to become a cannibalistic species, and that's the one positive takeaway from... The, the new the new dawn of this new era sacrifice 2020 Janie do you have any plugs or anything you'd like to shout out before we wrap up uh, I don't know do I um, is this a Brooklyn centric it's going out on iTunes it's going out on iTunes mm-hmm. yeah this is going to be on iTunes if you're on iTunes listen to this please leave us a comment or uh, a star rating especially if it's friends. a positive <laughs> yeah um, Janie's mom yeah. <laughs> yeah, this is just for you, mom. Um, you know, maybe it's just me, but I just think Jamie's mom has got it going on. That I I had like I haven't heard that one before. <laughs> I'm quitting this show. <laughs> <laughs> Thanks everyone. We'll be back next week.